We read today from John chapter 1, verses 19 to 51. It's page 750 in your church Bible. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levite to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptise if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptising. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite of whom, in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Well, good day, everyone. My name is Scott. Really good to be here today. Uh, courtrooms are places of high tension, of, of deep emotion. 
Because what happens in a courtroom can have big consequences for the rest of life. In my lifetime, I've only really been to court once. Uh, I had a friend, he's a refugee in our country, because he became, uh, in his home country, he became a Christian, and that meant that his, well, his family treated him pretty badly. He fled and got to Australia. And he'd been living here for a number of years. I got to know him through the church I was going to. And then one day I got a phone call from him. He'd been arrested, charged with a crime. Eventually this meant that uh, because he wasn't yet an Australian citizen, he got taken to immigration detention where he stayed until the trial uh, was done. So uh, in the lead up to this trial, I, I kind of thought to myself, I know this guy, he's, he's got to be innocent, right? But then as it gets closer and, and, and as the court date happens, I begin to think, you know, is he actually guilty? H- have I been duped? Is he a different person than I know? So uh, the day came when, when the court date was set, the case is being heard, we all go in, we sit and we listen intently, and each witness comes and they say their part, and they give their testimony, and each time I'm asking myself, do I believe that person? Is that what really happened? Are they telling the truth? But of course, it all comes down to the end of the trial, doesn't it? Where the judge hands down his decision. I remember that day very clearly. Uh, I was tense. My heart was going a thousand miles an hour. So I can't imagine what it was like for my friend. Because if the judge says he's guilty, he gets sent back to his home country. He gets sent back to a place where he's going to face violence. A place that's going to be very hard for him to stay a Christian. So when the verdict came back not guilty, you could see the weight lifted off his shoulders. It was like instantaneous relief. His smile returned. Courtrooms bring about big moments because there's big consequences. And it all depends on what the witnesses say. Today we're looking at a part of John that's kind of like a court scene. Uh, there's a self-appointed judges coming in, they ask questions, the witnesses give their testimony. And amidst all that that's going on in the drama of the passage, there's a question that we all have to ask ourselves as well. What do you make of Jesus? How do you judge Jesus? Because today starts with a courtroom, but it ends with an invitation Will you take up that invitation? Well, it depends, doesn't it, on what you make of the witnesses. So let's pray and then let's hear our witnesses for today. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we we thank you for the year ahead and all that's happening. We thank you for uh, our kids and their leaders and pray that as they spend time in their programs today, there'd be lots of fun, but there'd also be a growing to... In, in understanding about Jesus. And we pray for ourselves too. As we about are, are about to come and listen to these three witnesses and their testimony, God, give us ears that hear, we pray. Help us judge well that we might make the right decision about the invitation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
before the witnesses take the stand, the courtroom must come together. And that's what you see in the opening verses there. Uh, John has been baptizing people in the River Jordan. And it's created quite a stir across the country. And so the religious leaders, they're there in Jerusalem uh, with the red circle. They decide they need to find out what's going on. And so they go somewhere up there to the Jordan River uh, to, to see John. They want to find out what's happening up here. And so they arrive and the court is in session. We're ready to go. And our first witness takes the stand, John the Baptist. See, these religious leaders, they think that John is at the center of all this hype. But when John takes the stand, he says, it's not me you want to know about. I'm not the focus of what's going on here. Take a look at verse 20. John says, I'm not the Messiah. They ask him, then, are you, who, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. They're getting nowhere with this line of questioning, are they? So they just come out and ask him, well then, who are you? Give us an answer that we can take it back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied to them in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. See, John's just saying, I'm the opening act, guys. I'm I'm that one who comes out on stage so that you're ready for the main event, which is coming up later. And the next day, the main event arrives. And so John does what any good opening act does. He gets people's eyes, he gets their attention, and gets them to focus not on him, but on the main attraction. He points to Jesus and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A little later on, John continues to give his, his, his testimony. It's as, it's as if he's been asked by one of the lawyers, how do you really know that this Jesus is actually at the center of everything? Listen to John's eyewitness account. He says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself didn't know him, but the one who sent me, that is God, the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain on is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen, I can testify that this is God's chosen one. And so with these two statements, John describes very clearly to us who Jesus is and what Jesus does. He's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. He's the one who both has the Spirit and who freely gives the Spirit. John knows this. He's sure of it. God sent him to do his work and God showed him that this is Jesus. And that's the end of John's testimony. He steps out of the dock, walks out of the courtroom, and silence descends. And in that silence, we're being asked, what do you make of this guy? Do you believe what he said? Maybe you want some more testimony. And that's all right, that's coming. There's a couple more witnesses today. There's the whole gospel after this. But at this point, what do you think? Let's assume for a moment that John is not telling the truth. 
Maybe he's lying. Maybe he's uh, deluded. But either way, if John is not telling the truth, then obviously you can just disregard his testimony, can't you? And if you can disregard John's testimony, then it's also quite easy to disregard the one he's talking about. It becomes much easier to disregard Jesus too. But what if John is telling the truth? Well, if he is, then then actually his testimony is life-changing. Not because of who John is, but because of who Jesus is. If John's telling the truth, it means that there's this problem of sin that needs to be removed, and Jesus is the one who does it. If John's telling the truth, it means that there's access to God's Spirit, that we can be empowered by God's Spirit because Jesus can give God's Spirit to us. If John is telling the truth, then well, Jesus is, is massive. But before we get too carried away with the possibilities, the second witness comes to the stand. Uh, as, as you read through the narrative there, the religious uh, leaders may not be around anymore. They may have left the scene. They, they, they leave John the Baptist at the river. They keep popping up at different points in the gospel, but right now they're not here. And yet for us who are reading, the questions still remain. Why is all this happening? Who is this one that John is pointing to? And so for us as readers, the trial really continues. It goes on, and the next witnesses take the stand. There's, it's a bit squishy in, in, in the witness box together because there's five of them sitting up there. These are the first disciples of Jesus, and they give their testimony. Two of them speak up. One of them's Andrew. The other, we don't quite get his name. But they'd heard what John the Baptist said about Jesus, and so they kind of they went after Jesus. They, they wanted to find out more. They followed him. You can see what they thought about him first in verse 28. They called him rabbi, which is quite a compliment. Uh, a rabbi is an outstanding teacher. It's, it's, it's someone who is worthy of lots of honor. And yet after they spend time with Jesus... They don't call him rabbi anymore. They realize it's just not suitable. Now they opt for something higher, something more significant. Andrew rushes off to find his brother Peter. And he says to him, we've found the Messiah. And as other disciples join this growing posse, they all speak of Jesus in these really reverential tones as well. Philip joins the group and he says that Jesus is the one that Moses wrote about in the law and the one whom the prophets also wrote about. Philip gets his friend Nathaniel and at first Nathaniel's pretty skeptical. Ha! Nazareth, what good comes from there? But then he meets Jesus and this is big change. He calls Jesus the son of God. And not only that, he calls Jesus the king of Israel as well. And so we have all these titles for Jesus. Messiah, the one written about by Moses and the prophet, son of God, king of Israel. And they've all got their roots in the Old Testament. They all look forward to a time when God would do something new, something drastic, when he'd act to put this world right again. 
And he'd do it through this Messiah, through this King of Israel. And when the disciples use these words of Jesus, they're saying that those promises from the Old Testament have come true. And they've come true in Jesus. That Jesus is the one who makes the world right again. Which again, this is a very big claim. And with that, these five witnesses, these first disciples, they step out of the dock, walk out of the courtroom, their testimony is in. And again, silence takes hold in the courthouse. And again in this silence, we're left to ask ourselves, what do we make of their testimony? Is Jesus a rabbi? Just a a good teacher and nothing more? Or is he actually more than that? Could he really be the one that they say he is? If he is, that has consequences. Did you notice with these disciples there's a movement? They don't just instantly see Jesus and fall on the ground and worship, but but there's a movement. Something gets their attention and they come to Jesus. They get to know him more. Once they get to know him, that's when they profess who he is. And then they go out and tell others as well. There's a movement here, uh, coming, from coming to to knowing, to professing, and then to telling. So do you believe what the disciples are saying? Where are you at in this movement? Have you come to Jesus yet to find out what you really think about him? Are you growing to know him better? Do you profess Jesus as this great one promised by God? Are you telling others about him? The silence in the courtroom ends as the final witness for the day is called in. And this time, the man himself steps up. Jesus comes to the stand. In this whole chapter, in chapter 1, Jesus only really speaks a handful of times and only once does he say anything about his identity, about who he is. And Nathanael had just been convinced that Jesus is special. Rabbi, he said, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. And listen to Jesus' response to Nathanael. He says, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. Then he added, very truly, I tell you, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And the question is, what does Jesus mean by this? Because he's not really crystal clear here, is he? It's heaven opening, angels coming up and down, Son of Man, what? Jesus is actually referring to a part of the Old Testament. It's a part that we read at church here just last year. Uh, It's a part about uh, Jacob. Jacob had been a bit of a rotter to his brother. He he tricked his older brother out of his birthright. He stole his older brother's uh, blessing. And it got so bad that that, that Jacob's brother wanted to kill him, so Jacob just had to flee, get out of there, run away. He he ran to another country. Uh, He's bolted, run for his life. And one night, he's a long way from home, 
He gets a rock to sleep on. That's how tired he is. Who'd like to sleep on a rock? Uh, and he sleeps and he has a dream. Genesis 28.12 tells us about it. Joseph, uh, Jacob sorry, had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And then God spoke to Jacob. This sounds familiar, right? The next morning, Jacob gets up and he marks this place out. It's special. This is where he met God. This is where God spoke to him. This is an important place. This is where God met with a human being. God met with a man here. And now back in John, Jesus is saying, that's me. See, the angels were going up and down at that place where Jacob was. And it was special. That's where God met with man. But now Jesus is saying, if you want to hear God speak, if you want to meet with God, then look no further than me. Go nowhere else but come to me. And as if to underline this, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. The disciples called him Messiah, King of Israel, Son of God, these kinds of things. And by Jesus' time, they all, those titles, they all had political overtones. But see, Jesus isn't concerned about politics. He's far more interested in spiritual welfare. He wants us to come to him, to hear God, to meet God, to do business with God by coming to Jesus. And so he uses a name for himself that has no political connotations. He isn't here to overthrow the Romans. Jesus is here so we can meet God. And with that, Jesus steps out of the witness box too. And again, in the courtroom, silence descends. We're left to ask ourselves, could Jesus really be the place where I meet God? Now, of course, Jesus said to the disciples, you will see heaven open up and so on and so on. It's because they haven't seen it yet, right? This is, there's more to come. And so uh, as we look on, there's, there's actually more evidence we need to consider. And that's uh, why well, we're going to keep coming in the next weeks. Uh, keep coming, uh, uh, keep weighing up the evidence as we keep reading John. Keep getting invested in your community groups where you're going to keep to meet Jesus. Try uh, getting into John in your own time if you can't get to a community group. In fact, next week, very next week, we're going to see one of Jesus' great signs that he did, the first sign that showed his glory to us. So come back again next week. But as the courtroom empties for the day, we're left with the question, is this true? Could it be true? What do you think? Maybe you're not convinced yet, which is fine. There's... As I said, there's plenty more witnesses to come in the coming weeks. So keep coming back. Keep weighing up what you think. Better yet, why not come to life? I mentioned life earlier on today. We're actually running a life uh, series right now. We had our first week just on Tuesday. It was fantastic. Um, you will have missed a week, but still come. Um, you've only missed, It's only one week you've missed. If you want to do this, come see me afterwards. Write it on your comment card. Uh, It'd be great to have you there from week two onwards. This is a wonderful way to, to investigate who Jesus really is. But whatever you do, don't ignore this. Don't just put Jesus, push Jesus to the side, never to think of him again. 
Because these disciples are actually really reliable witnesses. They kept saying this same thing all through their life. They kept saying that Jesus is, is special. And they did this even at a great personal cost to themselves. You know, all but one of these disciples died because of what they said about Jesus. The last guy didn't die, but they tried their best to kill him. So don't ignore it, please. Jesus himself died saying these things about himself. Don't ignore it. These disciples are reliable. These witnesses are reliable. But maybe you're here today and you are convinced, actually, this is all true. Jesus really is the place I meet with God. Is that you? If that's you, then I just want to ask a couple of questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the place where you meet God? If you do, is it shaping your life? Is it shaping the way you live? Do you... Do you make much of Jesus with your time? Or is life just too busy? In fact, I want to talk to the people who are probably the busiest people amongst us. That is parents. You, you're busy. You are. Well, let's be frank. Um, but in the midst of your busyness, do you still take time to make much of Jesus with your family, with your kids? When your kids look on at the way you do life and the way you, you lead your families, parents, do your kids see that you're too busy for Jesus? Or do your kids see that even in the midst of your business, Jesus is worth the time? In fact, this is the very question we need to be asking ourselves as a church. Just we, we spent a good chunk this morning just talking about what we're planning for next year. Uh, our hopes and dreams, what we're excited about. And, and it can all sound great, but we can get busy with all this stuff, can't we? And, and we can just get busy with doing things. But we need to ask ourselves, is this, is this stuff helping us make much of Jesus? Is it putting Jesus on the agenda so he's, he's, he's made much of in our lives, in the life of our church? And, and are we putting Jesus on the agenda so that others can come and make much of him with us? Or are we just doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff? Jesus is the way we meet our God. So are we making much of him? Let's pray and ask God that we would be. Let's pray together. Our good and gracious Father, thank you for Jesus. Father, we've read some pretty astounding claims about Jesus today and some of us here will have questions. Some of us won't be entirely convinced yet. Father, please, in your goodness and kindness, would you help us continue to have chances to, to take on the evidence here at church, in community groups, on our own, at life, whatever it may be. Father, Please help us have eyes that see Jesus for who he really is, we pray. God, please turn our hearts to trust that he is the way we meet you. And Father, here today, this morning, again, there's some of us who are already convinced that this is the case. And we just wanted to pray that you'd help us show that in our lives, express that in our lives by making much of Jesus with our lives. 
Father, we pray especially for the parents and the families who've got busy lives and ask that in amongst that, uh, our kids would see that Jesus is worth making much of. Father, we pray for ourselves as a church that we wouldn't just be running things just for the sake of running things, but we'd be running things for the sake of making much of Jesus and helping others make much of him as well. Father, we pray this because Jesus is the way we meet you. We want to know you. And that's something that we, uh, we, we, we need your help with, uh, knowing the busyness of life and the things that get in our way. So please be with us, we ask, Father, for this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,